Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good to have you with us here on the GM Shuffle. We'll have full takeaways from preseason week one, rookie quarterbacks, the Fields Bears situation, Haskins. We'll look ahead to week two. Is Jalen Hurts a franchise quarterback? And Tim Tebow ain't going to happen, even with Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars. But we begin with the Field of Dreams game. Is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Remarkable experience, Mike. Once in a lifetime, I got to go to Iowa. So here's the downside. It's not an easy place to get to. Four-hour flight delay out of Newark because there was thunderstorms in Chicago. I land in Chicago. Thankfully, MLB hooked it up. Car service. Three-hour drive from Chicago to Dubuque, Iowa. And I stay at the Hotel Julian. First nugget you're going to appreciate. The Hotel Julian is where... Al Capone used to stay. The second floor is the Capone suite. And the reason why is from that view, because where Iowa is geographically, Capone could see if the FBI or the cops were coming from Illinois or Wisconsin. So he had a good gauge on three states being in Iowa. Hotel Julian, fantastic. I was hoping to run into Joe Buck in the uh, workout room, but uh, Fox Sports was all staying there. I did not see Joe or the rest of the Fox guys, but amazing experience. And the first thing I got to tell you is this. When you actually see the field, my whole view is this. I'm sure you would feel the same way. If you went to a you know big NFL site, you just want to be very careful. It's very sacred. But no, everybody was everywhere. The access was amazing. You could go, if you and I were there with a couple of baseball gloves, we could have a catch where Kevin Costner and his father, Dwyer Brown, the actor who played John Kinsella in the movie. I walked out of the Cornstalks. I took a tour of the house, which is always with movies. The house is a lot smaller than you realize. You go there, you go, I can't believe they shot in this house which was actually built in 1906. For those who are unfamiliar, Field the Dreams came out in 1989. But it's remarkable how they've kept it all looking a very specific way. And I know it's Minnesota nice, but I would like to say Iowa nice. Everyone there was so friendly and welcoming. It is truly the middle of nowhere. I mean, you got the smell of cow shit permeating your senses. You got tractor trailers, farmland, corn, as far as the eye can see. But the big news is I got to meet Kevin Costner. I wish I had more time. Honestly, I would have liked to talk JFK for you. I would have liked to talk the untouchables for me. But he literally walks on set. We do the interview and then he's got to go. But fantastic. Smart guy, thoughtful guy, and the epitome of California cool. I thought about your story when you said Millie saw him and he asked her, where are you going? Or she's going wherever you're going because she loves Kevin Costner. Listen, the guy's in his 60s, still ruggedly handsome. He's got the sunglasses, got the hair, million 
dollars smile. It was just an incredible experience. Uh, that that just looked so good. It was such an eye popping thing on television. It was amazing. So the the first question obviously has got to be mafia related. What was Capone doing in Dubuque? That, that, <laughs> like, what would he go there for? Great question. So I asked them. I go, why was he in Dubuque, Iowa? And they said, well, a lot of the bootlegging and stuff, like it was it was being transported in different areas. So again, it was a three hour drive from Chicago. He wanted to not be concentrated in one area. So he wanted to have some of his operation in Dubuque, which I, I found fascinating. I said, Dubuque, listen, it is a town of maybe 25, 30,000. And that's today. Could you imagine in Capone's, there's literally 500 people and there's Al Capone, America's most notorious gangster, hanging out at the Hotel Julian. It's crazy. Why was the crowd so... Uh I would say reticent, so laid back. Like, did they not really know how to behave or were they kind of unsure of what they should do? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was curious, as you said, obviously you're watching it at home. And by the way, the numbers for Fox, it's the highest rated regular season baseball game since 2005. So, I mean, in 16 years, they ended ratings like this for a regular season game. Obviously, they're all thrilled. But while watching it in the stadium, like when I heard the music, I got goosebumps. And when Costner first walked out of the cornfield, but he was kind of wandering all over the place. Like, I was like, I wonder what they're doing. How does this look on TV? But he was kind of just obviously milking the moment and then the Yankees and the White Sox came out of the crowd. But I think part of it was it's only 8,000 people. So I think, you know what? It's just, I think there is something to be said for Iowa Midwest. They're not as rabid perhaps as the East Coast. And then part of it was just like, maybe they were so taken aback by the moment, kind of soaking it in. That reticence that you mentioned, it wasn't like a, a noisy, boisterous crowd. It was more like a respectful crowd, almost in awe that this nostalgia was actually taking place before our eyes. And what will happen to the baseball stadium now that they're not being used? It's it's only going to, I know they're going to have another game. The Cubs and the Reds are going back, but what will happen to the baseball stadium now? Will they use it for high school games? That's what I assume. Because I kept saying when they were like, hey, we don't know if we'll be back next year. I said, hang on a second. You are not going to go to this kind of expense, this kind of effort to have this game be once ever. So you're right. Cubs, Reds next year. I think it'll become an annual tradition, just like the Winter Classic is in hockey. So I hope they get value out of it. But to your point, 364 other days, you're in Dyersville, Iowa, population 4,000. And you've got the state-of-the-art stadium. Like, I hope it's going to be used. So I don't actually know, but I would assume you're right. Iowa High School. Uh, Des Moines, Iowa is where the Chicago Cubs AAA team is, which is a few hours away. So I don't know if they can get any use out of it. But you're right. You, you can't imagine. You built the stadium. If you build it, he will come. Well, if you build it, they came. And hopefully they'll get year-round use out of it. Because, I mean, Field of Dreams is a tourist site all its own. Now you've got the stadium there as well. Right. Hopefully they get use out of it. Well, who paid for the stadium? I mean, who, who, who funded that? Was Fox? Did Fox pay for this? That's got to be Major League Baseball. I think MLB put the money together and say, you know what, let's build the stadium. Because how about this? The price of tickets, face value was $400. That's face value. They were going, the average ticket price ended up being $1,400 on the secondary market. I mean, this was not a game for the average Iowan. Imagine you have a family of four. It's going to cost you six Gs to go to this game. So I don't know who was affording these tickets. They squeezed in 8,000 butts, but... Um, it was definitely special for all those to watch. And everybody had to stay at the, uh, the, probably the only hotel to stay in was the Dubuque Inn. I mean, I'm sure that was probably packed. Well, that's what I was laughing. I said, there's got to be a hotel in Dyersville. Like Dyersville was 40 minutes from Dubuque. And they said, well, there's a couple, but it's like, you know, Super 8. <laughs> I said, listen, I got no issue. There's no ego with me. I don't mind staying there. But I think you're right. Just for the size of the crowds of the people coming, many were staying in Dubuque and then making the 40-minute commute. How about this? I shouldn't admit this, but somebody said to me, you know, if you wait till the end of the game, it's going to 
to take two hours to get out. I said, really? They go, yeah, it's a single lane highway. You're in the middle of farmland and you have 8,000 fans plus, let's say, 1,000 media plus cameramen, tech operations. So I actually left after the sixth inning. Once in a lifetime experience, but I did not want to get stuck in the traffic. I left after six, 40 minutes to get back to Dubuque, and I watched the last inning in my hotel. Unbelievable. I think that was a smart play. You know, always stay one step ahead. I mean, you Al Caponed it, basically. You Al Caponed it. You saw, you saw them coming, and you got out of town. I mean, you know, look, you, you, that's why you could have been part of the. That's why you're 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 one of us. You're in the family. I mean, you oh. saw it. Like I got to escape. You know, when when, when I, we used to stay when uh, I was in Cleveland, we used to go to the Senior Bowl, and we always would stay at the Marriott Clear Point. And we always stayed like in the, they had these bungalows and it was perfect. And I kept thinking this, and I called the bungalow we stayed in. It was a huge suite. Jim Schwartz was in one room. Belichick was in another. I had a room. I think Ozzy was in another room. Like it was like four of us in this huge suite. I called it the Dillinger suite because if we saw the cops come, we just go in the bay and go off. So <laughs> you, you got it. You, you got that figured out. You're good. Yeah, that, that is the getaway car, Dillinger style. But honestly, amazing experience. And I was thinking about you. You were telling me how Ernie Accorsi, right? He as far as NFL guys that love baseball, imagine Ernie Corsi would have been soaking it all up. Yeah, no, he loved baseball. I mean, he loves ba- he loved the movie Field of Dreams. So I would be, I'm shocked he didn't try to go there. So I know he went there. Now, one quick question: Where did Buddy Holly die? Did Buddy Holly die near there? Was that car? Was that plane crash somewhere near there? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know offhand. That seems to vaguely ring a bell, but I, I got to rack my memory about La Bamba. Oh, well, I'm yeah. going to look. The, you know, the, the beautiful thing, the beautiful thing about. Google is you don't have to be an idiot very long. You know, you can kind of like ask a question. No, no, Mike, I just Googled it. It's it was near- he died in Mason City. Yeah, it says near Clear Lake, Iowa. So yeah, him and Richie Valens. The big bopper too, J.P. Richardson. Wow. And from that, we got bye-bye Miss America Pie. I mean, that's another, that could be a whole podcast in itself, breaking down the meaning of of American Pie. The day the music died. All right, uh, we'll segue from Field of Dreams and Buddy Holly to get into some football talk. Uh, week one of the NFL preseason kicked off last week. We got to see the rookie quarterbacks, Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones. As we spoke about last week, Zach Wilson had not looked that great in practice. Trey Lance is now going to be the uh, backup, at least with Garoppolo there in San Francisco. What did you think of him? Obviously, Lawrence looked okay from early indications. Well, I think this. I think uh, I think we have to slow down a little bit here. I think when you you know a- anything I say about a rookie quarterback is should be tempered in the fact that it, it, it's just week one. And what does that mean? Week one means really vanilla coverages, scripted for success. You know what what often happens in these preseason games. What I don't think people understand is like let's take let's take Sean McVay and. And, and Staley, the head coach of the Chargers. Those two guys have a conversation before the game. Hey, here's what's going to happen on goal line. Here's what we're going to do. We're not going to go for it on fourth down, blah, blah, blah. They go back and forth, and they play the game like a controlled scrimmage. So, you know, part of the controlled scrimmage element is, look, we don't want cover three. We don't want, you know, we want the middle of the field, all that. So the game's kind of in a controlled setting. So if you play poorly, probably not so good. But if you play good, it's probably not great. It's just, okay, we're moving along. You know, I thought Fields started out the game slow. uh, And then once he kind of got the rhythm of it and they gave him some plays, I think it's really important as fans. We have to understand what makes the play. Was it the talent of the quarterback or was it the scheme? And that leads us to Trey Lance. Trey Lance's first, the 80-yard touchdown pass, was nothing to do with Trey Lance. It was a thing of beauty by Kyle Shanahan. 
He ran a bootleg to, to Lance's left, made him pivot and turn around. From a slot formation, he had the inside receiver make it look like he was going to bend it back for a deep out, and he took it over the top, and he crossed face with the safety, and it was a great throw, great throw, and he laid it out there. But I will say this, A.D., just watching week one, there's no way Trey Lance will start in week one of the season based on week one preseason tape, based on where he's got to go. It's just too much risk for Kyle. It's way too much risk. You can't do that to him. You can't put him in that awkward situation. He's so far from, he was sacked four times, should have thrown two interceptions. Now, I thought he did a nice job. He stayed in the pocket. He tried to be a pocket passer. But the reality here, I thought, really was that it was the game was moving too fast in week one, in week one. So, like, I just want to temper it a little bit. I thought, frankly, I thought Sam Ellinger at Indianapolis played as well as anybody. He was picked in, what, the fifth or fourth round, somewhere in there. And I thought Mac Jones was good. Wasn't great. I thought he was good. I thought Lawrence and Wilson were both good, acceptable. You know, I didn't think anybody was bad. I thought Lance looked like he was probably the least of all of them based on studying the tape. That's interesting. And as far as Justin Fields' performance, 14 of 21 for 142 and a touchdown, five rushes, 33 yards a touchdown. Matt Nagy saying Andy Dalton will be the week one starter regardless what happens this preseason. But again, that shouldn't be that surprising because you and I have said Fields will be the guy. We just don't know if it's, it's obviously five. It's not going to be week one. Well, it's week four or week six or whenever. But ultimately, he'll get the keys to the car in Chicago. Yeah, I, I, here, here's the dilemma coaches have. And, and, I, and I've been critical of Nagy and I get it. But there's certain situations if you put Fields out there, right? If you start him week one, if you start Lance, if you start Mac Jones, if you st- you know Zach Zach Wilson and Lawrence, there's no there's no looking back, right? They're going to build a team, and they don't play well. Now, are you willing to come sit him on the bench and then put the other guy in? Like, if you're Belichick, do you put do you put Mac in to start the season? And then if Max struggles and doesn't look good, are you going to bench him? And then how do you get him back again? How do you renew his confidence? You're better off being patient. You're better off letting the crops in the field grow. You're better off letting it have a little bit more uh, time to, to sink its roots. And, and to me, I think Fields is no different than Lawrence and Wilson. Their team isn't good enough. Their team's not going to compete. I mean, they just signed Jason Peters, AD. Jason Peters is broken down. He's 39 years old. They lost their left tackle, Tevin, the kid they drafted. They were counting on him to be a starter. He's got back surgery. Backs and offensive linemen, not a good combination. No, 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 no. Not good. Backs and O-linemen, don't like that. So where are we going in Chicago? You know, like, why not? Why not accept that we're probably a 5-11 and team and just let this quarterback grow and don't change? Because every week he'll get better. Yeah, it's not like Nagy's in the hot seat right now coaching for his job. You're right. They're going to be patient because they got their franchise quarterback. Let him grow into the role, and you'll know when he's ready. Other situations are interesting, like the Saints. Taysom Hill got the start. Jameis Winston looked a little bit better. Broncos, you got Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Again, as you're pointing out with Chicago, they're not expected to contend. So you want to be patient with Fields and bring him along. For New Orleans and Denver, again, I I think Sean Payton's not the type to ever want to rebuild the year. But whether it's Taylor Winston, both guys have proven they can be capable. Similar for Denver. Both Bridgewater and Drew Locke, those guys both have something to prove. So it's it's too early to determine which guy is going to be the guy. 
Well, I think in Denver's case, Denver knows they're a good team. I mean, Denver plays Minnesota in the first preseason game, right? Minnesota doesn't play anybody. Denver plays their guys. They dominate the game as well they should. And I thought Locke was hesitant with the ball. He made some good throws, but he had all day to throw the ball. He could check the runners at first and third before delivering the ball to the plate. He had plenty of time. So, And then Bridgewater came in, and he played with a bunch of backups, but then they were the backups to the backups of the Vikings. Hard to really evaluate. You know, that's the hard part is – if you're in a situation where you really can't evaluate it. So for me, for me, I, I think Denver's going to need to learn more this week. You know, where are they going? How are they going to handle that? New Orleans, you know, I thought it would be, I really thought originally it would be Jameis's job. But watching the game, they all threw in, all three quarterbacks, Ian Book, uh, Taysom Hill, and, and Jameis, they all threw interceptions in the game. I thought T- Jameis does exactly what Jameis, he's kind of loose with the ball in the pocket. He's going to make mistakes. And just knowing Sean, I think he thinks Taysom Hill gives him the best chance. I think Taysom Hill will be the starter because I'm not sure, you know, he can bench Hill and then have him play in another role. I think he's promised Hill the chance to either be the quarterback and stop doing all the other things. So, you know, I think both quarterbacks are going to have a, a different week this week because, look, they played the Ravens, and it wasn't like the Ravens were were playing all their guys. They didn't. So the it wasn't a game. I think week two, and talking to these coaches, I spent uh, Tuesday up the Patriots talking to the coaches from there, talking to the Eagle coaches. You know, it's all going to be they, – they got to get their guys ready to go. It's it, like some of these preseason games are going to be a little bit more, especially the third one, a little bit more eye-opening than perhaps we saw in the past. And maybe for Dwayne Haskins, he can have a bit of a turnaround. Dwayne Haskins, obviously, tumultuous time in Washington, ended abruptly. Uh, he was drafted the 15th pick in 2019, now getting a second chance in Pittsburgh, looking for the heir apparent. Mason Rudolph still the number two, but Haskins went 16 of 22 for 161 yards and a touchdown. He led four scoring drives. They mounted a 24-16 comeback win over the Eagles. It's been real clear, Mike, this guy mailed it in, quite frankly, did not show the work ethic that was needed to be a starting quarterback with Washington. Ron Rivera got tired of his act. You'd like to think he'll make the most of this opportunity. And with the Steelers, you've got a great coach in Mike Tomlin, good core system of veterans. If ever Dwayne Haskins is going to succeed, Pittsburgh would be the spot, no? Yeah, I think so. And I mean, I think in a fairness to the kid, I think he's actually taken it seriously. I don't think he's perfect. I think, but he can have an opportunity to uh, to compete. He's made Mason Rudolph look a lot better. I mean, Mason Rudolph actually looked fa- fairly good the other night. So, and I don't think Mason Rudolph is one of those guys that can actually throw the football with timing. And I think he holds the ball too long. But, you know, competition is the best thing you could have for any player. I mean, it just is the best thing you can have for any player. And, you know, Haskins, I think, does provide some competition for them as they're dealing with uh, the problems that, you know, Mason Rudolph, who's going to be the backup? Because let's face it, I mean, they could talk about Ben playing another year. I mean, based on the way Ben played last year, there's no there's no way. Like, you know, I went back, AD, and I started watching the playoff games again. And when you really take the the shine of it off, and you look at and you look at the uh, those games, and you see them, you say, you know what, Ben really he didn't play very well. You know he didn't play very well. He didn't play well in the playoff game. He didn't play well the last five games of the season. I mean, Drew Brees. People talk about well, Taysom Hill. Who's going to replace Drew Brees? Let me be really clear here. Drew Brees is a great Hall of Fame player, and he belongs in the Hall. But he was really a below average player last year. On a grading scale, if if you know, he was probably a backup type player last year. No arm strength, wanted to get rid of the ball too quickly, wasn't the same player. 
was not, now he could have had an injury involved, but when you go back and watch him play against Tampa, Sean had to do everything in his power to generate what they needed to do. I know Cook fumbled and everybody thinks they would have won that game had Cook not fumbled, but they would have won that game if Breeze would have played much better and he didn't. I'm with you that this is it for Roethlisberger. This is the swan song. So you're right. Pittsburgh has got to figure out who is going to be the guy. And Haskins and Rudolph, you have a couple of guys who at least can prove themselves of being worthy. And who knows, even if Roethlisberger gets through the season. Because like I said, it, it was disappointing throughout the year. And if Pittsburgh is a winning team looking to go deep, who knows? Maybe Mike Tomlin has to bench Roethlisberger at some point. I mean, I think what's going to happen, I mean, Mike's, I think injuries will come before he benches Big Ben. That's probably a safe bet. A legend, he deserves the, the glory. I get that. Uh, and this is only preseason for players, preseason for coaches as well. Lions head coach Dan Campbell, who I think you and I right now could place a bet. He's going to lead the league in best press conferences and certainly the most entertaining. Well, the Lions were trailing 13-12 under two minutes to go inside the Bills' 15-yard line. All they had to do was run the ball to kill the clock and kick a chip shot field goal to win the game. Again, they're down by one, under two to go, inside the Bills 15. Instead, he puts the ball in David Blau's hands, a quarterback. The passes lead to clock stoppages. The Lions end up kicking a field goal to take the lead, but it left plenty of time for the Bills. They drive down the field and win the game. Campbell said, to me, that was about getting Blau a couple throws to see if he would score a touchdown. The benefit, if you don't get it, is you get your defense in a two-minute and get another look at these guys under a high-stress situation. What do you make of his logic? Well, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's it's like he's trying to... He's trying to... Uh, uh, he's trying to justify it. I mean, it's like, well, he would have still had a look at the players in the final minutes of the two pre's if he'd have done it right. I mean, you got to do it right. I mean, it's there's never a time not to do it right. Like it, it was just to me bizarre. He first he said Blah had a hot hand. Well, that doesn't justify it. It's it put your team in position to win the game. Do it right. You know, you can't do what he did. That, that wasn't smart. He was still going to be able to look at his defense later. And besides, AD, the people he's going to be looking at on defense are going to get, are going to get cut anyway. What's he looking at? It wasn't like he had his first team defense. He, it wasn't a situation where he could really get something from. It was really dumb. It was dumb. And I don't want to hear, you know, people, I get these, you know, these, you know, people send you messages on Instagram, call you an idiot. You know, these, these, these Instagram tough guys, like seriously, (laughs) there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Right. And it doesn't matter if it's preseason or the regular season, nobody's going to do it the wrong way. You don't want to do it the wrong. I I wanted to look at first Blau was throwing it hot. Second, you know, you know, I want to look at my guys. No, you don't. You could have had 40 seconds to look at your guys and you could have had the win. Here's how we're going to play it. You lose credibility with your team. You're you got you're you're on you're on you're on it too. You're on it. Yeah, the word you use is perfect, which is justify. It's like when someone makes a mistake and they're trying to justify the decision. You're like, no, dude, you're trying to win the game. Like, if anything, I guess it further proves why so many fans get frustrated the preseason because you go, well, I think the goal is to win the game, but even the coach apparently doesn't give a damn to win the game because he's trying to experiment. Like, he's being this mad scientist. Let me see Blau's arm strength. Let me see his ability to pressure. Let me see the defense. The best point you just made is that defense, all those guys are going to get cut anyways. Like, I was watching some of Hard Knocks and one of the first speeches they said was 40% of you guys are new players and 40% of them are going to get cut anyways. So you're right. I I actually would have gone along with his logic except those guys are going to be there. That's silly. They're not going to be there. And then you could have still looked at them with 40 seconds to go. But if you do the right thing, how do you ask your players not to do the right? You're just making excuses. Well, you know, first Blau was hot and now, you know, he, it was like, oh, do it right. Show people that you know what you're doing. Show people you know what you're doing. Show people this is how we're going to, and if you would have lost the game, if you would have lost the game, 
and you've done it the right way, it's not a problem. It's a preseason game. No big deal. But put yourself in position to do the right thing all the time. You're telling your players if preseason is important, but then it's not important enough for you? Come on. Yeah, it definitely sends the wrong message. You're right. Ultimately, you're trying to win the game no matter what. And you still have plenty of time to evaluate whatever you need to evaluate. As we look ahead to week two, is there a matchup you like or more broadly as a coaching staff, as we've discussed, now it's only three weeks of, of training camp or preseason games, I should say. How does this differ now for week two whereas in the past? Well, I mean, look, I think this is an interesting time because we're going to see that the, the teams had to get to, I think, seven, uh, 85 yesterday. And so then eventually they're going to have to go to 80 and then they go down to 53. So I think this week, you know, I think you'll see a lot of young players this week. I think you'll still see the same veterans kind of play. But I think week three, there's a two-week period between the last game, uh, the, the game that ends week three, and then the opening game of the season. And here's what's fascinating, AD. I don't think people understand this as much. When I was at the Patriots practice, they said to me yesterday, they said, you know, realize when we get, when the season, when we get, when we go to find it 53, we will have only had eight, eight padded practices. Eight padded practices. That's all we'll have had. How is that? I mean, I mean, that's unbelievable, right? How do you do that? You, you know, it's how do you evaluate your team with eight padded practices? So you got to use these games a little bit to help you. you and, and some of these young players are just going to, you know, it cracks me up always in the preseason is, well, we had to play the guy the whole game. Well, fuck, he would have played the whole game if he was the starter anyway. What, what's the big deal? You know? So I'm looking forward to see this these quarterbacks, what progress they make, how they go forward. You know, I'm looking forward to see elements of the team. Can the Bengals block anybody? You know, what what's going to happen with the with the with the Bills uh, defensive front? Are they going to be as good against a bad Bear team? You know, what Tua look? I thought Tua looked good. They scripted for success against Chicago. He threw a bad interception. How does he do against Atlanta? You know, is Atlanta going to play some of the younger? Are they going to play Ryan or what they're going to do? So you know, it's going to be to me. It's really about the rookie quarterbacks and who does some things and what what they get to. Yeah, quarterbacks always the focus, whether it's the preseason or the regular season. Speaking of quarterbacks, coming up next in the city of brotherly love, a lot of love going for Jalen Hurts. Is it actual hope or but just a bunch of hype? We'll get into it next. All right, anytime you're on the golf course, you always hear the phrase, hit it long and hit it straight. Well, as somebody who's a novice to the game of golf, a new person, I wanted to make sure I had the best equipment possible. So, as a novice golfer, I went and hit up our friends over at PXG because they have an all-new driver called the Black Ops. I mean, my man Chris over in Henderson has hooked me up with a phenomenal driver that's built to my game. My new game that doesn't really do much of anything on the course, but it has what I need in terms of the club head speed and the kind of grip that I need to go out there and be the best to my ability. I mean, this is music to ears to any golfer, whether you're a novice like myself or if you've been playing the game for decades. The PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Op drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. That's just ridiculously high. So what you got to do Go check out the PXG Black Ops Driver. You'll be as impressed with it as I am. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment at pxg.com slash gmshuffle and use code gmshuffle at checkout. That's pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle for free shipping on all equipment, pxg.com slash gmshuffle, code gmshuffle. 
Jalen Hurts has certainly had a rocky ride over the last few years. Got benched in the national championship game in Alabama for Tua Tungavailoa. He's now the leader in Philadelphia after being the backup there to Carson Wentz. And according to reports by Jordan Schultz at ESPN, a fast-growing sentiment among Eagles players that Hurts is undoubtedly the franchise quarterback. They love his work ethic, his intangibles, and his skill. And apparently in a joint practice of the Patriots, reports are he outshined Cam Newton, was on point with his throws, even made some sound decisions against Bill Belichick's defense. Color me skeptical on this, Mike. As we've discussed, training camp, everyone looks great. Listen, I think Hurts has some talent. I certainly think he gave the team a jolt and a different look without Wentz. But he also only completed about 53% of his passes. I'm going to have to see a lot higher completion percentage and consistency before I anoint Jalen Hurts as the next big thing. Yeah, I mean, look. I, I mean, these. It's it's funny to read the 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 way that, that people evaluated practice and then watching the practice tape. I think it's two different things. So, you know, I mean, look, it, it's going to come down to can Jalen Hurts play from the pocket. I mean, I think that's really going to be what's going to be the critical component. I mean, when Jalen Hurts gets back there, it's one look and go. And he's going to have to prove that he can, when teams rush him the right way, when teams utilize their skill set in terms of forcing him to stay in the pocket, can he make those drop back throws? And we'll, she'll see, you know, and he's got, you know, he throws the ball, he does all the things, but he, he's not a, he can't be a run first player. It's got to be something different. So. We'll see. I mean, look, I don't. I don't think the Eagles are, are are as sold on it as as what you just read. I think they've got what they could potentially have three number one picks next year. They've, if if Carson Wentz plays seventy five percent of the plays, I think they get a one. They already have Miami's one, and they've got their own one. So they're in really good position to take a look at some of the quarterbacks that come out next year. You know, whether it's Sam Howe, whether it's the kid from Oklahoma, Spencer Rattler, you know, whomever it is, whether it's the kid at USC, you know, they're they're going to be in really good Slovis. They're going to be in good position to go get one if they want one. So, you know, I, I would still temper this because to me right now, just watching the tape and watching the game. Hertz is going to have to prove he can stay in the pocket and make the throws. Nobody's going to allow him to run around like he did, like he wants to do. Right. He was drafted as thought to be, you know, wildcat option, a guy that would give you a different look intermittently. To actually be a franchise quarterback to me, that's a giant leap that I don't think, like you said, the Eagles are willing to make just yet. There's still rumors that Philadelphia could try to make a move for Deshaun Watson. Well, that saga continues. He didn't practice on Monday or Tuesday prompting questions to the media, what is happening with Deshaun Watson? Said head coach David Culley, Deshaun is not injured. He's here. Every day he's here. He comes in and he works. He does what we ask him to do. When asked why Watson didn't practice on Monday, Culley said it was due to a schedule change. He reported to camp on July 25th, but since then he's practiced five days. He wasn't on the field for the next five days. He returned for four days and then wasn't on the field Monday or Tuesday. Can you make sense of this, Mike? Now, I mean, I think they're waiting for it to come down. I mean, you know, now there's a report that he's being investigated by the FBI. I mean, there's so much uncertainty in this whole thing, you know, and the league office won't do anything that that you would think they would put him on the comm- commissioner exempt list. But Rusty Harden on Wednesday confirmed multiple FBI uh, investigations are underway regarding Texas quarterback Deshaun Watson, including one over his alleged behavior and another pertaining to claims a woman uh, extorted him. Uh, so and this is coming from the Houston Chronicle. So there's there's more layers to the story. And, and the deeper the layers get, the harder it is to imagine that he's going to play football in 2021. 
We've seen the situation in baseball with Trevor Bauer. He's been accused of sexual assault by a woman. And what's happened is that, okay, innocent until proven guilty, but the Dodgers basically, he just keeps getting this administrative leave. So he's not pitching right now while they investigate the case. You could very easily see this happening with Deshaun Watson. Hey, the case is not going to be wrapped up by the time the NFL season begins. Great. We'll put you on leave. It's paid leave. It's you know collectively bargained. But I'm with you. I cannot see him playing football while this entire case is ongoing. Speaking of a case that got locked up, took five months of negotiations. The Seahawks have made Jamal Adams the highest paid safety in football. Four-year extension worth up to $72 million. That's $18 million a year, $20 million signing bonus, $38 million guaranteed. With the contract, he becomes the league's 17th highest paid defender. He's third on the team in salary behind Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner. Now, obviously, you knew he was going to get paid. The Jets are the team that had him initially. Rocky relationship there. Seattle gave up a bunch of picks. He's great, especially in blitz packages. How important was it, though, for Seattle to get this deal done? Well, I mean, look, I, I, I love that, you know, when it wasn't going to get done that, and they were going to franchise him, they said that uh, Adam said, well, he wants to get paid like a linebacker because that's really what I am. And that's really what he is. He's a linebacker. I mean, he got paid as a safety, but he's a linebacker. And he's a good linebacker. I mean, he's exactly the kind of linebacker you need. He can't cover. He's not going to cover backs one-on-one, but he can play the run. He's an eight-man front safety. He's the eighth guy in the box. He can attack the pocket. He led their team in sacks last year. He's a good, I mean, he's a good player. He's a good player, but he's not going to go cover some slot receiver. There's no chance. So they paid him as a, they really paid him as a playmaker on defense. That's what they paid him as a guy that can blitz the pocket, attack it, be the run game. They were good against the run last year without a great defensive front. So look, they, they, when you make this trade, when you give up two number ones, you're forced to do it. But I think the fact that Seattle took the money off the tit, so basically said, Hey, we're done. This is it. And now the agent spins it. You know, he's got all his guys in the league that he could spin it, that he got this, and they could create it. But I'm sure this deal that came through was a deal Seattle's been offering probably for the last two weeks. Jamal Adams gets taken care of. That's good news there for Seattle. Regular season isn't even underway, but the seat's already hot in the NFL. Is there trouble in the Big Apple? That's next. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, the second round of the playoffs have been absolutely phenomenal, and if you really like a team, you can bet on them for the futures markets, maybe some conference finals MVPs as the conference finals approach, or how about NBA finals MVP? And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet five bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code shuffle that's code shuffle for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just five bucks only on DraftKings the crown is yours gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia visit www.1800gambler.net in New York call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369 in Connecticut help is available for problem gambling call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance, see dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Well, the Giants have won 15 games in three seasons since Dave Gettleman took over as GM. 
That's right. Even if you're not a math wizard, five wins a year, not great. They've drafted key players like Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, in contention for the NFC East title last year, but you can say that with a snicker because the division was so awful. Fourth year under a GM, you think there's going to be some improvements here, and said co-owner John Mara, we're all in the hot seat with our fans in particular. We've given them too many losing seasons. It's time for us to start winning. But I wouldn't say Gettleman is on the hot seat. You've written quite a bit, Mike, about the Giants and the front office politics. What do you make of Gettleman? Is he on the hot seat or not? Well, look, the last five years, I think John Mara's right. Everybody should be on the hot seat, including John. I mean, John's saying it for himself. I mean, look, you know, where are they? They're, they're, they're basically, in the last five years, they've won 29 games. 29 games in the last five years. Uh, they've lost 51. In the last 10 years, I think they rank, of the, of the teams, only Cleveland, Cincinnati, Jacksonville, and the Jets have, have, worse, have, have less wins. Think about that. Cleveland, the Giants have 29, Cleveland has 25, Cincinnati has 25, Jacksonville have 25, and the Jets have 23. Okay? So now let's go 10 years. The last 10 years, they 160 games, they're 66 and 94. 66 and 94. And they're above they're the Raiders, Washington, Tampa, the Jets, Cleveland, and Jacksonville are below them. So there's only there's six teams below them. I mean, the last 10 years of giant football, the last five years particularly, have been a disaster. And the, the commonality, whether you think it's Gettleman, whether you think it's Pat Shermer, whether you think it's Joe Judge, whether you think it's Chris Mara, it's been John Mara's been running the team. And so he's got to answer for that. Not, not me. You know, the, they're, they're so sensitive in that building. If you say something bad about them, you know, you're, you're a bad guy. You know, you're ostracized. You know, you can't come around here. You're a bad guy. Well, I mean, how do you say something good about a team that's won 29 games in the last five years? 80 games. And they haven't changed the front office. They haven't changed the structure of what they're doing. Now, think about that. Eight, last 80 games, you've won 29. And you're and and, and it's it's somebody it's the coach's fault all the time. The last ten years, there's only six teams that have beat have won more that have won less games than you. The last ten, I mean, like, what more do you want? What can what can you say? Right. Like, and, and then you want me you want me to accept your judgment on who you think is a good coach, Coach Garrett. All respect. <laughs> You know, I mean, it's that offense. You know, that offense. The first game of the preseason, it was it was embarrassing to watch, Coach Garrett. You think it's great? Good. You think he's great? Good. You think Daniel Jones is great? Good. You got what twenty nine wins the last five years. I'm not. I'm not trying to be an asshole. I'm not trying to be an asshole at all. It's just that show me what's so good about your franchise, and yet you won't make any changes. You bring Gettleman back. You got Kevin Abrams in a big role. You got you know like seriously. Here's the thing. I'm going to write about this next week for the Daily Coach. I was talking to somebody the other day, and. and it, this whole thing about collaboration is really a way of saying we're going to collaborate, but really that's just a that's just a, a term we're going to use because I want to run everything. It's called collaboration under the disguise of a dictatorship. And when you don't change the front office, when you keep things the same, when Mark Murphy splinters the Packers structure, he calls it collaboration. But to me, it's a power grab. John Maris runs the Giants. He calls he's collaborating. It's he's running the team. It's a, it's a false, false, false narrative. Collaboration means you've got somebody who's in charge, who's making decisions. He's listening to people, but that doesn't mean he or she are doing everything that they say. 
Collaborative is just this, it's the Wizard of Oz. It's the guy behind the curtain. Nobody knows who's pulling all the strings. It's the, you know, the, the guy on the grassy knoll. Who's doing it? You know, it's like David Ferry said in JFK. Oh, it's a mystery wrapped in a riddle. Like, Sarah, that's collaboration. And the frustration is, I don't see them winning their division. Like right now, I think it's Washington or Dallas. I think Philly's last. I think the Giants are third. So, you know, you, you look at a team, as you said, they've been a sad sack, sorry franchise. And I can't see a gigantic improvement happening this season. Whether or not it's a make or break year for Daniel Jones, I don't think they're going to be a good football team. So the misery on whatever level you want to evaluate, well, they're going to be a sub 500 team, period. Well, I mean, Vegas, Vegas, here's what Vegas thinks of them. Vegas posted their win total at seven. I mean, their offensive line is a disaster, AD. Their line, they can't, it's a disaster. They're not going to block anybody. You know, they got some nice skill players, sure. Tony, this kid they drafted from Florida, good luck now. Good luck. Hope this goes better, but right now it ain't going so good. You listen to what's been said off the field, behind the scenes, not so good. Could be a 7-10 and 10 team there for the Giants. Ugly. Uh, as always, send us your mailbag questions to the GM Shuffle at gmail.com or feel free to send us a message on Instagram at the GM Shuffle. This is from DJ in Ohio. Hey guys, thanks for giving us a no bullshit approach to the game each week. Curious your thoughts now. The sideshow is officially over. What was the purpose of bringing in Tebow to Jacksonville? Urban couldn't have legitimately thought he had a chance to make the roster, right? Was it to gain publicity? Or was it to bring another pseudo coach in the locker room to show leadership to the young guys? Yes, in case you missed it, Tebow sent packing by Urban Meyer. I think, as we have said all along, Mike, he wasn't going to make the team. I figure Urban was like, hey, whatever, Tim, we've been through a lot together. You want a shot? Sure. He's the only guy that was willing to do it, but Tebow clearly couldn't cut it, period. I mean, they posted his, t- I, I, I was. I didn't even retweet it. It was so bad. They posted his, t- his blocking on Twitter. It was a joke. I mean, seriously, it was a joke. Like you wasted all that. Here's what fans don't understand. Time equals money. How much time are we going to put into this equates to how much money we're putting in. And it was, it was like, it was a disaster from the fucking beginning, right? It was a disaster from the beginning. And, you know, like it, it just shows you like this is you shouldn't be focusing on Tebow. You should be trying to I watched their first preseason game, A.D., and, you know, the 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 Brownies had their backups in there and they got pressure on the first team of Jacksonville offensive line. Now, I know it's the first preseason game, but that ain't that shouldn't happen. You know, so there's other things you got to worry about and you got to focus about. I mean, what is Steve Jobs's greatest, greatest strength, right? Steve Jobs's greatest strength is always staying on task, never getting off task. He always understood really what he was doing. When you sign Tebow, you're going off task. You're doing a favor for somebody. Like that, it, it, I could, I, we predicted it here on the show. There was no fucking chance that was going to work. None. I guess I commend Urban for loyalty. Like, hey, man, you're my guy. I'll give you a shot. But like you said, anybody that actually believed in this so-called Tebow magic and, oh, he's got these intangibles. I mean, please. Anybody with half a brain knew this wasn't going to work. No. I mean, and, and oh, don't you know, you know how many fucking Instagram messages I got from idiots saying, you know, tw- he's so good. Watch, watch him. He's going to prove you wrong. He hasn't proved himself right. He was a first-round pick. I, I was actually looking forward to watching him play. I thought that maybe he could do something in the NFL. I was a supporter of his. I knew he couldn't throw the ball well, but I thought maybe there would be a place for him. But the more you dig into the Tebow per- is different. The Tebow persona and the Tebow teammate are two different things. Nobody wants to admit that. Nobody wants to. None of his fans want to admit that. People that know, people behind the scenes, they know. 
Tim Tebow experiment ends as it does not work there in Jacksonville. Pop Culture Minute. I told you about revisiting Field of Dreams. What have you been up to the last week as far as watching, reading? What do you got? Oh, well, you know, I mean, I still, I'm, I'm obsessed with, you know, I, I've been on this, you know, the JFK thing has just been consuming me to no end, AD. I've been going crazy on it, reading all these different things. Uh, just read another book about the 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 guy that was the El Paso guy. And then I found out about, the you know, reading about Roger Craig, who was the police officer who saw Oswald get in the call, get into the car. So I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts on that. And then this is tragic murder story in South Carolina, the murder, uh, the Murdaugh murder. It's a very affluential, old, old time South Carolina family. Their son was in a boating accident and killed a girl. He's allegedly was charged or was in front of the grand jury for killing this girl in a boating accident because he was intoxicated. And then then he get and his mother get shot by a rifle. And so I've been like on this, like unbelievable. I can't get off of it. It's like, I'm trying to, and they haven't had any arrests or they don't have any charges, none of it. It's so, you know, I mean, I, I don't know why I'm doing it. I feel like, you know what I feel like? I feel like I'm Truman Capote driving out to Kansas to go find out about the the the, the, the murders, you know? Like, it's like, I'm, I'm, like, I remember in the, you know, how good was Seymour Hoffman in that movie? How good oh, was he? Incredible. I mean, One of my favorite actors ever, the guy's a better performance could there? I mean, and just think, he was the cop in, in Nobody's Fool. I mean, he went from he went from Raymer in Nobody's Fool, right, and where <laughs> Paul Newman punches him in the nose. Raymer, he's Raymer's under suspension. He should be under anesthesia. Is what he should be under. It's <laughs> one of the great lines of all time. He should be under anesthesia. Anyway, he goes from Raymer, this dysfunctional cop, right, to. Truman Capote, and I could see him clipping out that article on that family. The, the, what was it, the Clute family or the or the Clut family? I forget what they what the name of the family that got uh, tragically killed in Kansas. So that's kind of how I feel about this. So I've been I read the guy there on Island Packet newspaper every day, like I'm reading the football section. It's like unbelievable, and, I, and nothing happens. Nothing's going on. That is a tragic story all the way around. You mentioned the kid being intoxicated, being charged, the mom. Philip Seymour Hoffman, though, you're right. As Capote, the fact he was able to nail that voice. Like, if you hear Philip Seymour Hoffman's real speaking voice, of course, he's been gone a number of years now, but he's got like a deep, baritone, guttural voice. The guy was a wrestler, grew up in Buffalo. As Truman Capote, he's so effeminate. He's got that high voice, right? The glasses. He's tucked into those three-piece suits. Now, I want to go watch Capote again. What a movie. Oh, it's so good. And just to listen to him act, it's so good and he's drinking the martini. Oh, it's so good. He's, his performance was unbelievable in that. And his writing, I mean, like if you just really want to write a great paragraph, like just rewrite one of his paragraphs from that book. Unbelievable. Yeah, in cold blood. Truman Capote, all-timer. Thanks so much for listening to GM Shuffle. We'll have more insights on week two of the NFL. Thanks for checking us out. Once again, you can support us on Twitter, Instagram, of course, at the GM Shuffle, M Lombardi NFL, Adnan Esberg. We'll see you next time.